What's good, everybody? I'm a trainer called Tony from the world-famous Off The Strength Podcast, and I'm happy to be here partnering with Lululemon to help them kick off their virtual seaweeds this year. In honor of the event, we're launching a special five-part series entitled Running Outside the Lines. We're looking to highlight the lives of runners and wellness professionals looking to find out what happens when fitness stops and life begins. Through stories of inspiration, perseverance, and triumph, We unpack the role this historic year has played in the lives of movement artists, discussing how their training helped keep them motivated when life became uncertain on the backdrop of pandemic and civil unrest brought on by a mass awakening to systemic injustice. Though the stories and perspectives may differ, the sentiment to keep running towards a solution remains the same. No matter how high the hurdle or steep the climb, listen in to hear how when the course changed, these athletes weren't afraid to run outside the lines. What's good, everybody? What's good? Welcome back to yet another episode of Off the Strength, where we're giving you the inside look into all things wellness culture. I'm a trainer called Tony, and of course, with me, I have some gentlemen of extraordinary league guys. Let's go around the table and introduce ourselves, please. Your trainer, Corey, a.k.a. your favorite trainer's favorite trainer. K.R. Jones is in the building. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of all type from near and far, you are in store for a treat today. We have with us another special guest from the Running Outside the Line series that we're putting together with Lululemon. Fellas, let's make some noise inside here for Valley Charles. Valley Charles, what's going on? How are we doing today, Val? Doing pretty good, thanks. (laughs) All right, look at that. I'm happy to have you on here. Very excited to have this conversation and feeling very fortunate to be talking at this time with somebody who I can see from the research that we've done is very passionate about this topic and this subject and we're going to have an explorative conversation around all the things that are on these front lines Val but before we get into that Val we got to let the good listeners know who you are where you're from and why it is you do that thing that you do okay so first things first Val would you mind giving us a quick little intro of who you are and what it is you're up to in this world as we find you today I'm Val. Um, I'm from Nigeria. I went to law school. I went to NYU Law School. I currently work as a legal consultant and controller for Mile Run Club. And I basically wanted to marry law and what I love to do, which is running fitness in general. And so this is what I do. My goal is to get the company to where we are global, where hopefully we start franchising next year. And also just to bring the love of running to everyone. Okay. All right. Val is a member of the Coalition of the Willing Fellas. She's out here trying to spread some of this good stuff. She is moving. Exactly. One foot at a time. That's how we're doing it. Left foot followed by right. You know, good strides in here. That's all we got. That's all I think I know. (laughs) As we come inside here, you know, we got to shout out a couple of the homies that was at the Mile High. I definitely took Jasmine Nessie's class at Mile High Run Club for for a little bit. For sure. And we got to shout out the homie show for bringing this whole situation together. So, Val, as long as we're together in the same mindset and the spirit of that run club, I know we're going to have a good time. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. So now, Val, there's a way that we like to kick this thing off a little bit, okay? So me and the fellas over here like to understand 
how you got that run bug established and what what that led you to do in life and you know why it is you're going to take this run mission and go all over the world with it as you declared right coming up in the next year so now we need to know where were you when you first fell in love with this thing we call wellness I was at Run Club, actually. Um, You know, I Googled New York City running, and that was the first thing that popped up. And I decided to attend one of their runs at the Upper East Side store. And from the first day of my first ever group run, I just fell in love with not just running, with the community. And everyone was so accepting and welcoming, and it's just been you know, ever since then. Okay, right on. And I I do want to get to learn a little bit more about that expanse through the run community and the run uh, culture. But I think it's important, fellas, we didn't get to talk about this in our last run conversation, but there is a distinct difference between the run clubs and the run crews. Now, favorite listeners of the show will note when we had a couple of our other favorite runners on here, but Val, it seems like you're running around town with, with a few different groups of people you know what I mean when I'm trying to get the listeners to understand the difference between a run club and a run crew? When I say run crew, I think about bridge runners, right? Uh-huh. Here we go. <laughs> and run club, you have the club that I run with, Henwood's Hounds. Okay. <laughs> so run clubs are more mainstream, mm-hmm. registered with NYRR, and then you have the run crews that like do their thing, but for more urban, and in my opinion, more community focused. Oh, that's exactly right. And that's why I want to talk about that a little bit because I think this community understanding that the outcomes, not not to take anything away from either one of these two groups, right? But the community focus, the outcomes being not necessarily, okay, we're going to get to the highest level or the highest end uh, and f- correct me if I'm wrong. You know, that just didn't seem like the, the goal of that run wasn't necessarily, okay, I'm going to shave off the best time and get down to this. It's really... I'm going on a communal effort. I'm going to get together with people that are of like mind and, you know, of like background. And we're going to go out here and we're going to do this thing together. And we're going to celebrate the fact that we did that. Is that is that fair to say? Absolutely. And what better time than now to need a way in which we can get our bodies to move, celebrate with each other and be out and about and actually do this with a purpose and an intention that is going to be to enlighten and to excite the people for a cause like the Black Lives Matter movement or shining light to some of the social injustice and the systemic injustice that we've been around. So, and, and as you've been going through that, Val, I want to get a little bit deeper into your path and your career. That's when you first fell in love with this running career that you have and, and you were going into first community runs and you're getting into the clubs and they, they're taking you around. But you also mentioned a little earlier that running was a source of relief. It was a place of refuge. Can you go into a little detail for that for me? It was. It started with, you know, first semester and things were a bit like, things were tough, right? In a new city. I didn't know anybody, you know, new school. And so it just became that outlet. Like, I'm, I'm a night owl. So, you know, I would run at night and then spend like the entire night until like early morning, like in the library. So it kind of helped me, it centered me before I sat down to study, I went out for a run. Mm. And then it's just kind of like, it calmed me down to where I could spend, you know, how many hours I needed in the books. It also served, you know, what, what does running do, right? If you run enough, you lose weight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So 
it, it, it also helped me maintain, you know, the specific weight that I wanted to maintain mm -hmm. while still being able to eat what I wanted to eat. <laughs> okay, okay. We got fast metabolism. I can't say I'm in I'm in that tribe. You know, I gotta make sure that I We all slowed down just a little bit. You know, I I, I got past a certain point, it's kinda like, all right, I, I'd have to do a lot of running to outplay some of my uh, my bad decisions, if you will, Val. It's you it cannot up. run whiskey. Yeah, you can't. It sneaks up on you, you know? It slows <laughs> you down a little bit. It's like a thick molasses after a while. <laughs> that's the, that's how I feel. <laughs> Absolutely. But I mean there's something to be said about being able to lace up and just go out like without a time goal or a pace goal. You just just go. And you let your mind run free and you just zone out. And it to me, it's that's how my it helped me with my stress relief at least that first year yeah and i can imagine that you end up listening to yourself too your thoughts almost uh oh, get a little clearer life right? decisions on my runs i made some crazy life decisions when i was running it talk was to insane. me about that process just a little bit i don't run with music mm -hmm. so for me all i had were my thoughts so whether it was well what race should I sign up for? Like just whatever it is. Or if I had like a, if I had like a conversation with my mom that didn't go well and I start replaying it back in my head and it helped me like, well, Valerie, you were wrong, you know, and let's not need to go and apologize to my mom. Like things like that, you know, just kind of like inner self conversations. And I just resolved a lot of like personal conflicts on my run. And at times I would like stop and write down an idea that I came up with mm. as I was running. Oh, fantastic. Well, <laughs> He's like, Look at you that. Know, so you just out there running with a black composition notebook? Yeah. No, no. Keep it in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> with my phone, I put it in an armband and like I would just stop and, you know, send myself a quick text message. And then, I like, like that. Like for me, it just, it worked for me. And it still does. Even now, it still does. Okay. So it, it gives you and it allows for you to have that, that moment of clarity that comes inside of your strides. And, you know, it seems like a, also a place where you do a lot of resolution inside of some of the things that happening uh, across your timeline. I would imagine that in this year, you had a lot of runs that you had to have some conversations with yourself about, or at least I would project that onto you. You can correct me if I'm wrong. How have the runs this year, what's some of the dialogue that you've been hearing? This year has been very challenging. It has been a very challenging year. Mm -hmm. I started off the year injured. So while still running through an injury so most of it was like don't make yourself worse but with everything else that's been happening I've been a bit more cautious mm -hmm. on my runs like I do not zone out as much as I used to so now I'm more aware of my surroundings and you know I I live my life pretty freely like I'm not I'm not afraid of anything and I would run early I would run late and I just didn't think that anything would you know happen to me I mean I know danger is out there but I didn't live in fear but now I feel like I have been living in some fear as to where instead of like before I would just get out and go for a run at 730, 8 o'clock at night, I've run at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, well, no, it's about to get dark. Let me not go for a run. You know, just given everything that's going on right now. That's a big challenge. And so what I've been really thinking about is what am I going to do to go back to how I used to be because living in fear is just, it affects everything. It, when, when I'm anxious, I can't run well mm. and I can't even complete a run because I'm like, Oh my God, I need to turn around. So for me, that's, that's where it's been right now. I'm trying to be better at it because it's not who I am. We are all trying to improve ourselves in some way, shape or form yeah. in this, in the light of this awakening that has been this year. Isn't that right, fellas? Absolutely. For sure. If you're not getting better. You're getting worse. 
you know what? It's forcing you to really have to deal with who you are. You can't hide anything. <laughs> One thing in this 2020 expanse so far, Val, has been you're going to find a version of yourself at some point in time in this year, whether it was sitting at home, whether you were out on the run, or where you, whether you had to confront a previously thought of truth, you're going to find that conflict have to happen. And often that's the moment where you get to have that defining moment in life, right? Because everything that you thought you knew was true ended up changing. In the course of this topic, when you heard about Ahmaud Arbery, what did you think you know was true? And then what changed as the situation evolved? When I heard about it, I was just, in a way, and this is probably bad, I was like, it finally happened. While as surprised as I was, I wasn't necessarily that surprised because this is the climate that we're in. And right now you're at a point where you can expect anything to happen. You know, I, I think about my brothers, you know, who they run. And so, and I think about them all the time, even before this happened. And to me, it's like, finally, maybe we can do something about it now. Mm. But I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm being a bit pessimistic. I can't say this won't happen again because it probably will. Val, could you speak to being from Nigeria and then coming to America and understanding what it's like to be black in America as opposed to being, you know, from Nigeria and that difference that actually happened? It is so different. Being black in Nigeria, it's empowering, right? We do not have these racial tensions. We are not taught that our whole existence is defined by slavery. Like when you're in school, you learn about slavery, but it's really a short little segment because we are more than that. And so coming here, I came here when I was like 18 or 19. So I didn't have to do like the high school, you know, history lessons from the history books that were written in Texas. So we actually learned world sith like we learned history so we know who we are and then so coming here and you see like they don't really know who they are they're taught that their whole existence has to do with slavery like this is who they are this is who their descendants are and as a result they still keep them in that slavery mindset mm. as opposed to coming from a place where you are taught that you are powerful you are smart and you are expected to do well mm -hmm. it's not a choice it's not a choice to go to a college. You have a choice of where to go to college, but it's not a choice. And so for me, like coming here and seeing the racism and how, you know, people look down on you because of the color of your skin, it, it was kind of hard. It was very hard to reconcile. And I think my first real, the first time I experienced racism here is actually in law school where this young woman pretty much didn't say it for loud, but pretty much said that the reason why I was at NYU was because I had to meet some type of like quota mm. and I was like, well you think so my father gave me Amer an American name just to not have that stigma attached to my name and so you know for somebody to just look at the color of my skin and, ex and just think that the, re the only reason that I'm in their space is because of I had to fulfill some type of like requirement that took some time for me to um, to like come to terms with do not expect to come to America and experience this type of racism. That is one thing that we were not taught in school. Mm. So I don't know. I think it has to do with the education system and it also has to do with society. And I guess because being raised in a society where, you know, mostly black people and forget about what you see on television, there are some very, you know, a lot of Nigerians are very, very, very well educated, well traveled. And so this is what I knew until I 
moved here and I was like, oh, wow, this is different. <laughs> it's clear what you're speaking on. There's definitely a systemic plan to mask the truth, especially as a lawyer. How do you feel is the best way to get to the truth? Because we're getting impressions. We're behind veils and we're not always seeing things coming in. You came in with a different perspective, but now you're here. So how are you pushing through to always be in the forefront of truth and getting actual facts? For me, it comes through education, but I know that I alone can't do it. Like, you know, I I eventually would like to open a charter school for African-Americans, women, all girls, and, you know, start educating, you know, the girls that way, you know, little by little. But I know it has to be something that's mass education. And I really don't have a way to solve that. Do we change the history books? Probably, <laughs> you know, there are many untruths, you know, printed and that these kids are being fed to every single day. Also, I also have to look at, and I hate to say this, but I feel like Africans tend to not see themselves as like being black per se, like, oh yeah, we're African. So whatever's going on with African-American community doesn't affect us. So I think this is where we have to change that mentality as well, that it doesn't matter whether you're from, from Africa or whether you were born in the States, you are a black person and they don't really care. Like all they care about is the color of the skin. Mm. And that's something I've seen a lot within my community yeah, that we don't, we don't talk about. Yeah, our personal distinctions don't apply when it comes to someone else deciding who we are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm reminded of the work of Marcus Garvey in what you're saying mm-hmm. in Pan-Africanism. And I'm reminded of the, towards the end of his, uh, his legacy, Martin Luther King talking about, you know, injustice anywhere being injustice everywhere. And mm-hmm. what you spoke to, Val, in some way, shape, or form has the connotations of a disembodied personship that was formed in this American uh, experiment, right? So it's hard to give somebody that value system to have that rich heritage and that pride in something that is disembodied from the point of origin. It's been systemically erased. It's been the spoils of the victor get to dictate how history actually plays out and looks, you know, and we, you, you reference these books and everything else. And even in our, I'd say the, the local education system inside the U S yeah, they, they underwrite a lot of things that had to happen in order for us to get to the current state that we are in. And this state is not in a vacuum. And a lot of people now are trying to make comments or make the passive comments. Well, that happened a long time ago. It's like, yes, But contextually, you're talking about all of these happenings having cascading impacts on our very present day system. So when we're talking about issues with policing and we don't address the fact that some of these issues started immediately after we ended slavery and we we talk about issues in redlining and, and separating communities, and we don't acknowledge the fact that some of these impacts are still implicit in today's. And we, and we talk about the actual wealth gap that exists in certain areas. And, and we don't address the fact that that gap is exponential today. Then we don't ever really get to the cause of these problems. And I, and I hear that as a, as a reoccurring theme that comes inside there. And I would say, looking across to the continent of Africa and seeing all of the different countries that do have examples of black leadership in place. And we have a country like Nigeria where it's like, okay, you said looking over here, this racism thing isn't necessarily the same problem. We see it. We see it differently. We see we have different social structures and different constructs. So there is examples in the world of systems that work without the context that we have. How do we re-embrace that? How do we define success maybe differently by those outcomes. And and Val, I want to ask you, what do you define success as in today's climate? 
success in today's climate you know just meeting your goals regardless of you know whatever's being thrown at you you know i always say any black person that survives or that accomplishes something in america is a story of success Mm -hmm. right because the system is not meant for us to do well. And we have to be 10 times better than anybody else. So to me, is success is waking up and saying, hey, I'm going to go get this degree. And you get the degree. To me, that's success. Or whatever it is. Anything you want to do. Just having that thought and being able to see that thought to completion is success to me. Val, I want to go back because you just laid out something that's very important that I know everybody in this room understood 100% what you just said. But somebody out there listening might not understand why you felt you had to be 10 times better just to be accepted. Can you please go into that story a little bit for me? You know, and even just my personal experience, just having, you know, walked through the doors of NYU, I've always had to prove myself. You take the LSAT, right? Like once you take the LSAT and you get your score and you get admitted into a school, who cares about the LSAT, right? It's over, you're you're already in the school. But it's something that you always had to mention just to show that you have that you have the right, if not more so than them, just to be able to sit and occupy that space. Mm. And um, whereas I can, another student may choose to not, you know, do the reading and just like shrug their way through class, I can't afford to do that. I had to be that one person who was in the library making sure I had dotted all my I's and crossed my T's because if I got called on and did not know the answer, immediately the thought would be, oh, what is she doing here? She doesn't belong here. So it's always, basically always having to, you know, look over your shoulders, you know, and to achieve some type of perfection that is not really real, but whatever it is, you know, just to make sure that you're not looked upon as less than. Right. And that... another. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, the the less than comparison is not based off of what you define as success, what I define as success. They have different connotations, but we all know those rules. You can't be in this present tense and not know that you have to play by those rules. Is that right, fellas? That is facts. Absolutely. I never was given the opportunity to come in and be mediocre in anything that I had to do. It's just kind of like, all right, you're just going to get by today, Tony? Yeah, sure. You're just going to show up and, you know... (laughs) Just hope for the best? No. <laughs> Never have I ever in any of my life been given that as an option and chose that option because I knew I was not going to get the benefit of the doubt inside that situation, right? How do you guys feel about that? The pressure to be exceptional and consistently exceptional when others have the opportunity to be, like you said, mediocre. There's no room in the medium. We have to be at the very top just to get into the door. And that's part of the struggle that I think is starting to be conveyed for some people who either pretended they didn't understand it or really didn't. I think people are starting to get it and there's a conversation is trying to figure out how to create that equality. But at least we're at the point where people are recognizing the fact that there is an inequality because there was a previous argument that that didn't exist. There was a previous argument that there wasn't racism, that there wasn't another system planned around trying to hold us back. So at least we're at the point now where we're trying to break down that system as opposed to prove it exists. So what you're saying is that that didn't get solved with Obama getting elected? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Okay, okay. We might have to send that memo out to a couple people. We were good till he wore that brown suit that <laughs> yeah, one time. Yeah, that he one, brown that, suit that one suit, day. Whole one day planet was shut down. Brown suit. Yeah, yeah, we had to do that. Val, I think about the metaphor between running and, and just the movement in general to, to propel you to move forward. How would you say that the 
the running, aside from, you know, it calming you a little bit, do you think that ever transitioned into your schoolwork? And you, you mentioned merging running with law and and it's what you do today to present yourself to the world. But can you just speak to how running through different obstacles and challenging yourself propelled you to to continue to push that envelope and to rise in the classroom and to, you know, continue to be on top of what you needed to be on top of? I've always been like a, just a go-getter, right? Like I've always been someone who something happens. I take some time off. I think about it and I push forward. I'm, I'm not, I tend not to give up. And so that's just how I've always known to be. And so let's say when it comes to running and obstacles, I get injured. I've got, well, not anymore, but I used to get injured quite often. And, um, I didn't give up. I realized that it was things that certain things that I was not doing, like eating properly. And I wasn't strength training or anything. I was just like running like a whole bunch of miles a week. And so for me, it was more like, okay, Valerie, this is the goal you want. You'd like to break four on December 6, 2018. So this is what you have to do to break four on that day. And that's just how I've always, you know, led my life. Like if I wanted to score a certain point on a test. So I knew this is how much I had to study for. This is what I needed to do in order to get the grades that I wanted. So for me, you know, I approach running like, like the same exact way. Like if I if I want to I want to run a specific time, I'm going to run that specific time. <laughs> you know, you know, I just it's just a matter of figuring out how to get there, you know, what to do to get there. So the initial overcoming the initial strife, even if it seemed hard, the fulfillment of that goal was the reward itself. Well, absolutely. I've gotten to a point where I didn't necessarily enjoy running anymore. Mm. But like my time was when <laughs> um, I was the in my best physical best physical shape. I ran the fastest, and at the end of it, I absolutely hated running. Mm. But there's something to be said about accomplishing something. So I was okay with that. I was okay with like hating running for four to five months just so I can accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And it's the same thing with school. Like I hated school after year two. I contemplated dropping out, but knowing that I full well couldn't because my parents would just, they, 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 they would disown me, right? <laughs> so no, I, <laughs> I just found a way to make it hurt less. Mm. A way to make it hurt less, Val. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a statement and a half that, that I definitely want to get back right to. There, right? In, inside of that, I do want to go back to that. But inside of there, I hear a story of resilience and a story of perseverance. Where who do you attribute that to, uh, or or where did you get that from in, in your life story? My mom. Okay, right on, right on. Talk to me about it. Uh, she's just a very I don't know. She's just one of those um, women who she just doesn't take any crap from anybody. And she's always said, listen, if you want something, you have to go and get it. Mm. You know, it's not going to come to you. You work hard. We'll help you along the way, but you have to work harder than us. And it's always been that way. And she won't let you start something and not finish it. Mm. Like my parents are 100% supportive, but if they're going to put their support and their money behind it, you will finish it. (laughs) So that's always like the, you know, the mentality that I've had. For sure. And like 
yeah it, it carries over into so many different areas and i could see why it's an easy transition into the to the wellness arena right because there is that tension that comes from okay i'm gonna work and then i get this reward and i work and i get this next reward right with the, the very system by which we improve ourselves is based mm-hmm. off of something like that okay right and, and we see that inside there but I would also say, Val, that the temptation to think that all of life is like that would be to do an injustice to everything that we just spoke about beforehand, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's some aspects that don't have that same, I'm going to work hard and I'll get this result kind of uh, event put in place, right? So when I think of concepts like communal health, and I want to set a goal for communal health, and and I want to set a goal for undoing some of this injustice that we sit inside there, Val, I want to ask you, because you seem like you're a very goal-oriented person and you're good at, you know, uh, maybe even reducing some of those action steps into getting to that plan. How do we make some impact on this communal health situation that we're in the midst of right now? Well, it's people like us, right? I I think sometimes we, 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 we get to a certain level and we forget that there are others behind that we need to take along with us. And I think that's where we can make a real difference mm. where it is going out into the community. Like I started something with my high run club was sponsoring underserved athletes into, into our run Academy and kind of like mentoring them. And so we need to do more of that. Mm. You know, we can't get somewhere and forget who we are and forget that we need to take our brothers and sisters right along with us and stop relying on others to do it for us. Mm-hmm question when when you're getting to that point where you feel like you're at that point where there's always that point in the struggle where you really have to decide to keep going and it can be the outside pressures and all that thing but it also breaks down to an internal thing where where are you going for that internal strength to push that next step and keep going when you are feeling the pain and you haven't figured out how to make it hurt less yet Honestly, very simple. All I say to myself is, you're not going to die. Like, <laughs> mm. this is not going to kill you, Valerie. Just get on with it. And, you know, and I, I take it, I take to any, I've done like over 20 marathons, maybe, or I don't know, between 18 and 20. And it always comes down to mile 22, where it's, everything hurts, right? And where four miles seems like you have 20 miles to go. And, it always comes down to one thing. You've gotten here, you've gotten this far, there's no way in hell you're going to give up and this is not going to kill you. So just get it done. Mm. And it's always been, you know, that little like saying in my head every single time. That sounds a lot like positive self-talk. Do you hold space and are you kind with yourself always? Or is it like, uh, you know, you're cursing yourself <laughs> out sometimes when you're doing that, you know, 23 oh, mile run. How does that work? Absolutely. Like, you know, sometimes halfway through, I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm not getting paid for this. You know, like, of course. <laughs> and, you know, just have to figure out. I think everybody has those negative, you know, thoughts. It's just a matter of doing. I do, like, daily exercises of, like, positive thinking. And I read, like, excerpts from different authors, positive thinking. Like, what to do if you're, like, if you're in pain? <laughs> you know, what to do if you start, you know, if your stomach starts to bothering you? And... In my opinion, from well, from what I've experienced, positive, positive thinking does really go a long way. Um, 
I I know you guys know who Kipchoge is. And, you know, one thing he does is once he pain, he smiles. Mm. There is something to be said about the motor neurons that you have in your brain that mm-hmm. will help you alleviate some of that stress when you do go into that standpoint. And Val, I, I, again, I'd be remiss if I didn't speak through the fact that, you know, that as a trope of American history, smiling while you're in pain and working through and having some kind of omnipresent forgiveness being tied there, it, it has been a task that we've been asked to do for quite some time. All throughout the, the most demonstrative of times, it, it, we've been asked to kind of still show up, still thrive and still be that 10% better than, or not, sorry, not 10%, 10 times better than anybody else that's in the room. Is there any point where we have to make acknowledgement to the fact that what you're facing might be unfair or the fact that some of the stuff that you're going across is unjust in some way, shape, or form? And what happens when we make that acknowledgement? Yes, I'm not known to be politically correct. Mm. So, okay, let's just say right now I'm the only black female in my corporate team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the only black person and the only, yeah, the only black female my corporate team so and i've been i've been with the company for going on about five years now so i can honestly say i've had like many situations where i've had to you know teach you know my my fellow co-workers right because sometimes people just don't know better right um so no, i do not just smile and keep my head down actually i i when it comes to work i'm always very vocal if something is not right whether it be race related whatever it is you know i bring the team in and I address the issue right there and I educate them. Because if you don't, they won't know any better and whatever it is that they're doing is going to keep happening. And, you know, it's something that I feel like as black people, a lot of us, we're, we're brainwashed to think that we should just be happy to be in that white person's space, to be in that white space. And we should just keep our heads down and just, you know, work. But that's not the case for me. There is an additional burden you take on the burden of educating people because yeah. there's that balance of one. Let me, all right, let me give you the benefit of the doubt of saying that what you're really trying to understand me and then you're not trying to get away with something. There's also the side of it of you have to carefully educate people so that you don't turn them away from the ideas and the concepts and then still get your point across and make sure they do operate the way you need them to. Are you okay with, or are you comfortable with the fact that you're going to have to consistently do that? Is that something that you plan on taking on as a burden or is there going to be a point where you just have to like, somebody else has to do this? Right now I'm taking it on as a burden. Like I had a situation and you know, I called out this guy at work. I'm like, you know, that this white savior mentality is not helping the black community, you know? And I, and, and, you know, and I just basically told him to go and educate himself. Right. I, I sent him to a couple of like websites and he came back to me a couple of weeks later and we had like a really good conversation. So I feel like for now, I, I should, I should take on that burden because if I don't, then who else is going to do it? Like, you know, you know, I understand. It, it's completely, I mean, yes, I get tired and frustrated at times, but I, I'll, I'll still do it. And that's the that's the rawness of the situation, right? Because for the sake of a better tomorrow, to train our eyes to that horizon that 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 possibility can be, we have to deal with unpacking of somebody else's situation, right? And and in their their perspective and their the inheritance that everybody else is coming up with, and often in times. You know, you do have to find yourself, okay, am I going to be the person who has to hold the lecture? Here's all the stuff that we're supposed to be doing for this job. But then here's Mm -hmm. all the pre-context as to why 
your email was extremely offensive <laughs> in this in this context or hey marketing team we can't put this image out because this is crazy and somebody's going to come here and talk to you as if nobody else in this room existed while we were coming up with these ideas right it is true that's my experience you know one thing i've i've been very frustrated with my job and i'm glad right now you know everything that's going on they, they it's shed some light mm -hmm. on why i've been frustrated um you know, we always market to the mid-20-something white middle-class population. That's who we market to. And it's I've been for the past four years, I'm like, guys, this is not, this is supposed to be a community. This is not how you build community. We need to be able to uh, reach out to every single person, every single race. Every, and they couldn't understand it. Like, they didn't see why. Like, why the way they were marketing is pretty much excluding like a lot of people mm -hmm. and right now with everything that's going on like you know i've ha I had a really good conversation with my boss and he understands now 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 he's starting to get it right and then what's really confusing about that and we're going to stick to the boutique atmosphere and the fitness atmosphere right now all the mm -hmm. marketing is going exactly where you just labeled it out val but if i had to ask you who's running these classes who's whose music is playing in these classes whose apparel is getting supported in these classes and then we start to put a list of attributes together in terms of what we're marketing towards versus what's actual cultural context is happening inside there i already did the math on that val i just want you to help me let let everybody else know what's happening on the front lines because i i haven't been to your studio specifically but i already know without having to go inside there what the, what time it is <sighs> um our studios a bit you know it's you know we have the problem is if i go to Mile High to uh, to apply to a coaching position, mm -hmm. I may not feel comfortable because no, there's no other female that looks like me. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like the male population, you know, you have, well, show used to work there, but you have, you know, Yusef and Allen and a few other coaches, but it really is, we are the backbone of like, you know, most companies and not just boutique fitness like and i told my boss this a couple weeks ago i said you know something behind every single successful white person especially white male is a black person that's actually doing the job mm. you know and and that's something that i'm you know i'm stressing so they can see that you know we are we may not be the face of the company but we are the company you know i've had situations where um a black applicant didn't feel comfortable and she decided to pull her applications, you know, although she was highly qualified, but no one looked like her. Now, again, understanding what the true resources are in this conversation, understanding what supply and demand on the grand scale of things actually meant, what would it mean to actually have unification that was impactful across that spectrum? That's a conversation that I always kind of play out in my head, Val where we have all the resources stacked on one side that isn't getting necessarily the outcomes that you might have wanted in the context by which I was told I had to play the game. I, I'm not interested in what the design is supposed to do. I'm interested in what mm -hmm. the outcomes actually do, right? So in, if I engineered something for you and I told you, well, this car is supposed to get you home, but it actually didn't take you home, that's a bad car. That's bad design, right? So when mm -hmm. we say that we're supposed to have some form of diversity that matriculates all the way through the organization but then i could see it stops at one level right mm -hmm. I, I gotta I, I gotta start to ask questions it's like well wh what part of the design did we not 
really see make this happen, make this connection, or where are we missing this? Or maybe it's time to start to look at these organizations and, and have a little bit of a different critical lens as to what the assets are and how do you really reinvest in those assets as you come forward. Those are the things that keep me up at night, Val. I mean, we need to recruit purposely, purposefully, right? Like, mm-hmm. we have to not not to expect that, you know, they're going to come to us. We need to go to the individual coaches and say, hey, I think you're doing this, this, this great. Would you like to come on board and audition for us? As opposed to just thinking that, you know, every single person is going to feel comfortable just walking into your very white, skinny space, you know, and, you know, and auditioning. And and it takes for, like, people like me to also reach out, right? Like, mm-hmm. like show reach out to Alan. And I think it, it really has to come down to us. And that's what I've been doing lately. I've been trying to recruit coaches on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, to see if we could diversify the brand, and it's and I and it's been very hard. It's very challenging, actually. Mm-hmm. Very I'd imagine now as well because of the the landscape, how it has evolved uh, across time. But you mm-hmm. are out there being the change that you want to see, Val, and I do want to celebrate and champion that. <laughs> we got to salute you. We got to salute the success where we see the success, Val. Thanks. In that mindset and in that direction, I want to go back for a second and ask if you could make any kind of updates to change the wider spectrum of what you see on the systemic side and maybe even inside the law like if, if there was a, a piece of legislation that you you yourself could craft and say you know what this is going to be the thing that's going to solve a decent amount of these problems what would that look like or what would that sound like what do you think we need to focus our energy right now overhauling our education system mm-hmm. some of the redlining right where you have zip codes like the higher tax paying zip codes get the best teachers and the they get better resources like you know i wouldn't i'm not necessarily saying to defund some of those but redistributing funds and pouring more and social services into our communities Mm-hmm. Um, but it really does start with the education system. That's where it all begins. And also giving the parents the tools to help their kids succeed in school as well. If you could teach a class that somebody could take as a secondary form of education that would just help you on the course of life as you've navigated, you have outlets that you can use, you use running for different things, you have resources that you can tap into, you got a rich history, uh, a culture to pull from, you have a family structure that comes here. A lot of people here don't necessarily have those things but if you can give them some some inside tips about what would that sound like what would that class tell people to arm themselves with with as much knowledge as you possibly can and arm yourself with the knowledge of who you are mm-hmm. who you really are not who what they they're telling you you are you know like i know who the great inventors are they're mostly black mm. you know you know people say well certain people don't have role models within their communities i'm like what are you talking about like we have there are black role, role models everywhere you turn you know it may not be in your household but there are and it's more of like pointing you know them to the right direction and making sure that the information that they're accessing is accurate a true accurate representation of you know their history and not what made what made up history is mm. We have to get accurate history so we can aspire to achieve what we desire. That's a Jay-Z bar inside there, folks. We're just going to drop that I like that the off. way you slid that in there. We're just going to drop that right there. Always a Jay-Z line. We're going to drop that right there, you know. Heavy gems. That's what we're dealing. <laughs> Val, who, who is, who's your single inspiration? Who's the, the person? You talked about how we have all these different 
people that we can look to that we in America a lot weren't educated about? Who's the person that stands out for you that was your your guiding light, so to speak, your lighthouse on how to move forward? I I was just raised in a very strong um, community, right? Like I, I can't speak to uh, one person. Um, you know, I had a wonderful um, chemistry teacher, you know, but like I was who was my mentor for several years, but it wasn't even, you know, so, but I had, I just really had like a strong, um, I have a strong family background. And so we've always like supported so I can look to to my mom or my dad, you know, or an uncle of mine. So I can't, I can't point to one person. I I definitely do not like I do not give any famous person any credit for inspiring me in any way mm. um, because I feel like if I wanted to achieve that goal, I probably could achieve it too. I look at people within my community that help shape who I am. They say it takes a village. Oh, yeah. it does. It absolutely does. I don't care if it's 2020, 2030, it takes a village. Yes. I love that. I love and that. The reason why we are currently in the state that we are is because we are very much individualistic well here's where we're going to try to reform that tribe Val. we're going to try to make that tribe around movement but that movement has to be something that has direction and that direction is towards progress that's what we're trying to do on this side Val. you can we be a part of this tribe i don't know if i can oh, keep yeah. up with you on the pace side you know but i'm a tribe you you can but just for like a shorter distance listen that's all we need <laughs> you know it, it, it matt the first step is the most important step val that's what i'm trying to tell them out here I'll meet you at that 22nd mile. You know, you go ahead and knock out them first 22 and then I'll ride out with you. For sure. You guys are fast the first 5K and you die and you die out. Probably. That's exactly where I would be. That's my thought. Val, before we wrap, we'd like to definitely ask other people come on to the show to, to send our listeners away with uh, a gym, if you will. So keeping it in the running outside the lines theme, what could you tell our listeners or what advice could you give them as far as to continue to run outside the lines? What other option do you have? You know, there's no other option. You know, you just, you, you putting yourself, you can't, you cannot, we are not meant to be placed in a box as black people. You know, we're, we're, we're great. And we are meant to be out there and we are meant to be messing things up. I won't say what I really want to say. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right, Val. We got the 10-second friendly delay, you know? <laughs> we can beep you if we got to. Yeah, you know, the people out there listening to the land will get the, the edited version. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, we're not meant to be, you know, kept into this little box. You know, we're not. It's not who we are. Like I said, I've never felt that I ever, I've never felt that I was ever confined into any space. And although I'm actually, and I was, thinking about this the other day i'm like wow i i my space is very white right and it's not because it's not by choice but um that's something that myself that i need to diversify myself to with the people that i hang out with and so forth so forth but i've never felt like at any given time that they place me in like a specific like box or category i know val before i leave i want to ask you about the role of allies in this process as you just go into you know your, your, your context and what's surrounding you uh, right now what would you hope for from allies in in this current present time and what would you say that you would want them to do more of and what would you want them to do less of i want them to do more listening and contemplating and thinking before they speak and less of having that white saviorism mentality 
where all of a sudden their voices are louder than yours. Mm. And once again, we're pushed to the background. And that's one thing that's one thing I've experienced and I've had several conversations about this with um, some of my allies is that, listen, I'm very happy that you're an ally and I'm, you know, I'm thankful that, you know, you'd like to speak up for me, but hey, I have my own voice too. Mm-hmm. So unless I ask you to interject, you need to just sit down and listen. Well, here we and go. Finger snaps on that one, Val. Snaps on that. Yeah. From shattering <laughs> expectations and shattering record times <laughs> to stepping outside of the box, Val, we want to salute you for using your voice to the highest level of this degree, Val. Thank you for coming in here and giving us some love. Fellas, let's give a round of applause to Val one time. Clap it up for Val. Thank you, Val. Appreciate you, Val. Uh, And one last thing that we want to say inside here, Val, is that we are about trying to make this not just in the theoretical, but in the practical. So I do want to keep in contact. I do want to keep in touch and make sure that we do find a way to unify our our forces and our voice to make some action happen. So Val, can you be our new friend? Of course. Look at that, fellas. We got two new friends inside here. We are successful. (laughs) We're on a streak right now. We are gaining alliances in this coalition, fellas. I now have two friends. We got two whole friends, Val. I'm very excited about this situation. Dos amigos. Dos amigos. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Bilingual with the friends. That's exactly where we're at. (laughs) Val, thank you so much for pulling up. Appreciate you. Once again, it's been another fantastic episode of Off the Strength. I'm a trainer called Tony. You're a trainer, Corey. K.R. Jones. Peace and much love to y'all. Till next time, we'll see you soon. Wash your hands. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope you had as much fun as we did. For more with KR Jones, your trainer, Corey, and yours truly, a trainer called Tony, be sure to tune into the Off The Strength Podcast, dropping new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday across all digital service providers. And if you love what you heard, don't be afraid to tell a friend, like, and subscribe. For more information, be sure to follow us on our Instagram at offthestrength underscore. Thanks for listening in. Peace and much love. Till next time, we'll see you soon.